This is episode 36 of G.I. Joburg. And tonight we're talking animal companions, or included animals, or farm animals that just find their way into G.I. Joe blister packs. Some G.I. Joes and Cobras came with furry critters, or not so furry critters, scaly critters. And we are going to talk about our three favorites, if we have three favorites, and what their function are in the greater G.I. Joe play pattern. I, uh, I know I personally am having a love-hate relationship with this topic because I've never quite wrapped my head around animal companions. Sure, the dog handler is going to come with his canine, but why do we need a manta ray, for instance? Or a gigantic scorpion? And so tonight... These gigantic scorpions are cool. Sorry. <laughs> and so, in this episode, G.I. Joburg, that is me, Stephen... Me, Paul. And Robert. Hey. ...are going to be giving a rundown of our three top favorites, our top three favorites, and a few honorable mentions. So, going round the computer, gentlemen, how are you on this evening? Rob, I haven't heard from you in forever. How are you this evening? Hi, <laughs> oh, I'm doing good. Uh, I had a nice day at work, and it was awesome. And I got home, and I had chicken and potatoes for supper. It was delicious. Oh, fantastic! I had chicken and, and uh, potatoes for lunch. What? That's crazy. Did you have Did you have chicken and potatoes for for breakfast, Paul? No, I had spaghetti. Damn it! <laughs> nice. No. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah, doing good, doing good. And how's everyone else? Are they all, all happy tonight? Warm, I hope. Um, yeah, it's a little bit chilly I'm... in the Cape tonight. And wet. Very wet. <laughs> Sorry, every time somebody says wet, I, I giggle. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> something, uh, something you want to talk to us about, Paul? Oh, no, no, not necessarily. It's just, you know, I just heard somebody... I can't remember, I was like watching some show and the guy uh, was just like saying, no, he's really ready and he's like, are you really ready? And he's like, yeah, I'm wet like the jungle. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. <laughs> Sounds like something you'd hear on action figure therapy from AFT's jungle. That's what they call Recondo. <laughs> I love that character. No doubt. Sure. No doubt. I suppose it's um, a bit of a dead-end uh, topic to speak about new stuff. I think it's safe to say we're all going through a little bit of a draft at the moment. Very much so. I've just got my pre-order done for that um, Danger at the Docks and other assorted G.I. Joe 3-packs. Great. Uh, from EBTS. Yeah, Lodger. that's August. Keeping the candle burning for modern era G.I. Joes. I'm proud oh, of you, yeah. man. Somebody's got to yeah. buy that shit. <laughs> but uh, the jaw and and I got my uh, one of my American friends. Uh, he this weekend he's not only hitting the flea markets, he might be hitting some garage sales. So I'm hoping he like nearly trips over a flag or something cool. Is this your and, friend uh, who discovered a mint in box condor. cobra condor at a That's flea right. market? Right. Yep. So uh, what is the cost of that uh, cobra condor, Paul? We're gonna find out tomorrow and or Saturday. Because uh, that's when they're going. And he said he'll go and check out the price for me. Because uh, he knows that I'm very keen on getting it. So Right on. Because I, I could swear that uh, in a previous episode, you you set the price at about, I don't know, $70 or something like that. I think I actually said 170 
But oh, well, you got me really excited about 70, and you know there's an easy way of finding out. I could dig up that episode and put the audio in. In fact, no, of course I think you I, can. I think I might just. <laughs> Boom. Well, the thing is, I was actually going to ask you guys, uh, he found a mint inbox Cobra Condor. Oof. Um, if any of you guys uh, are keen. And I think it's only like $60 or something, or $70. <laughs> but uh, I will find out either way. I, I did say that there, there is a cutoff on it. I, I won't let him pay more than 150 for it uh, because I still think that's a very fair price for a condo, a uh, mint and box at that, considering that. So it's quite uh, probable that uh, we were being optimistic in previous episodes. It's very po- probable. you know. It's But hey, listen, if it comes with an Aero Viper, it makes a bit of that money back. So I ain't selling my Aero Viper. <laughs> Who's going to fly the condor? It's a prerequisite that the pilots have a goatee. Yeah. And goatee sporting cobra pilots are not dime a dozen. No, no, they're not, clearly. Why do you think Wild Weasel and Strata Viper's helmets are non-removable? They're trying to cover up their chicken shit, goatee-less smooth faces. <laughs> they're peach fuzz. Exactly. <laughs> There's sad um, attempts at having that studly man fuzz. There's something I did get, G.I. Joe related, that I didn't really get a chance to mention on a previous episode. Maybe Fabulous. I did. So if, I, have it. if I did, so stop me. But um, I got one of those Dollar Store or Dollar General Snake Eyes toys. The blue, black, and gray one, which is reminiscent of the 92 Snake Eyes. Or 91, 91. Snake Eyes. I love that Snake Eyes. He's very My cool. 1989 and, disappeared very quickly. It was only thanks mm. to Rob that we have that Snake Eyes in our cumulative collection. So yep. my go-to Snake Eyes was the blue and light grey and black clad Snake Eyes. And mm. With the cool red visor. Yeah, exactly. Which evokes the kind of uh, low-lights slash hit-and-run red goggle look, which always is a winner in my books. It was with some alarm that I thumbed through Bellamo's book, our Mm -hmm. GI Bible, and (laughs) he had this to say about that particular Snake Eyes, and I quote, Neon colors do not a ninja commando make, and this version of Snake Eyes is widely regarded as the least favorite by many collectors. What? Mm. Are you crazy? What? (laughs) Jeez. You should watch the Ninja Turtles sometime, Mark. Neon colors yeah. definitely do a ninja make. Excuse me. Totally, dude. And yeah. totally, dude was there for emphasis. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but, um, dude. Cowabunga, Paul. Exactly. I mean, of the, how many, 70 Snake Eyes? I think it's 70 Snake Eyes um, variants or uh, uh, Snake Eyes is available. Something. You're only going to get one with an orange grapple hook. And and just so we're clear, you can you can do far worse than that snake eyes in design. I mean, I've seen them take really good snake eyes sculpts and turn them into really shit snake eyes sculpts. So no, I stand by you on that one, Steve, because that was one of my favorite snake eyes as well. Had a lot of fun with that as a kid. And, I actually and even remember be, buying mine. To be fair, on you know? Mr. Bellamo's criticisms, I immediately divorced him from his neon accessories. Okay, let me be real. Which we all did. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, you know, the the outfit itself was perfectly possible. Mm. It had 
ninja elements that had sort of soft padded feet and gloves you know no boots no combat boots like it still had web gear so perfectly functional in that sense but very much a you know an esoteric ninja look from the waist down and he was made much cooler in my eyes by a comic book issue which was written by i think herb trimpey uh which oh, yeah? is a filler issue which i absolutely loved which showed that version of snake eyes the ninja force version of storm shadow and the original version of scarlet since she had gone so many years without an update sneaking no. into the cobra consulate building in new york and placing a homing beacon for a smart bomb there and then fighting their way out of the building which is daring do that only you know ninjas were allowed to do at that stage of the comic book it seemed which is sad but it was still a damn cool issue with plenty of plot twists yeah well worth a read but yeah just to go into my appraisal of the dollar store version of him he's a lot of fun it's kind of cool because they use the snake eyes upper body from 25th anniversary 89 snake eyes is the upper body i mean i'm sure any of you guys can go into yojo.com and check out the parts used etc etc but it is a fun toy it's just having it in your hands and he definitely feels like himself. He doesn't feel like a Frank and Joe. I don't know how to explain it. It's like I thought it would be super Frank and Joe-like, but it's not. It's actually very much its own thing, and I like it. And it's great to have that. It's a, it was a hole in my collection. Where my does he figure collection. into your collection, though, Paul? Where what, what place does that version of Snake Eyes hold? Because most G.I. Joe fans will have more than a handful of Snake Eyes to choose from as their primary numero uno. Like, this isn't that. He isn't your go-to Snake Eyes, I assume. To be honest, I'm actually getting a lot of playtime out of him. I think it's because he was a he was very cheap, and uh, it's not that difficult to replace him. I know it sounds bad to say that, but he's not a difficult to replace figure. He's got a smallish body, so he fits into lots of vehicles and stuff. So that's pretty cool. I'm enjoying that figure, and and it's got a touch of color to it, which. At the moment is why I keep going to that Snake Eyes right now. Because all the other Snake Eyes are definitely gray, black, gray and black. Gray, gray, gray and black. Black and black and silver. So actually it's a nice like twist on that. It just allows me to just have a Snake Eyes that is just not gray. It harkens a little bit to the G.I. Joe 2 video game team that I can sort of try to make. But I'm like sort of like sans a wetsuit and uh, a proper hawk. I think I've only got that hawk's torso... And, you know, so, you know, if I wanted to try and build some kind of makeshift team, that's where I'd include him, I suppose. But right now, he's the, my go-to Snake Eyes. I'm just having fun with it. It's a great toy, and it's got great hands. You can put a lot of the weapons in, and they fit securely, and a lot of the swords don't wobble. So it's great. He has got lots of little pieces that can get lost and fall out and everything, which is what makes some of the previous releases really amazing, but makes me very nervous to play with. I brought him along to my... Most recent photo shoot, I just didn't get a chance to do a lot of the the stuff that I wanted to because on the second day or third day of my holiday, when which is when I was going to do a lot of that shoots, they got an unexpected family visit, so we ended up having a, a whole bride thing, so we couldn't really slip out and then go and take all the shots and that I wanted to get in. Are you going to put those pictures up on our Facebook group? I am, yes. Well, there you go, um, listeners. You can check out exactly what Paul's talking about on our Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Yay. <laughs> One more thing I'd like to just say before I go, before we go deeper into you guys and your <laughs> cool stuff and, and what's happening with your side. I made quite a cool discovery, and you guys might, you'll see it on the pictures I'm going to post on Facebook. 
I've got a roadblock from the Resolute line, which is one of the coolest roadblocks, probably my go-to roadblock. It's probably my favorite roadblock figure. And I've even considered at some point getting the the really cool ultimate roadblock from the movie line, like getting a second one or at least just the body and giving it a more sort of roadblock skin tone and maybe making that my go-to roadblock. But then I had this other really cool idea. I was just messing around when I was taking those shots and I had my vintage Tiger Force roadblock and I wanted to see if his helmet would fit on my Resolute roadblock and it does. Uh-huh. <laughs> So now I've got a half Tiger Force Resolute Roadblock, which is kind of making me want to pull a Steve and get like another body and do my own custom Tiger Force Roadblock, which I think would be really cool. Like a modern era Tiger Force Roadblock, like the way it should be done. Um, you know, and yeah. I think you did a pretty good bang up uh, Frank and Joe job just by using the helmets alone. Yeah, I can't really remember works. where I read it. Maybe it was a forum somewhere. But I very distinctly remember reading that the finest deco that Tiger Force gave us in terms of the figures is Roadblock's helmet. Like for the rest of the figures, they had, you know, some odd stripes here and there. But you've got to go big or go home when it's Tiger Force. The vehicles yeah. are a clear indication of that. Ostentatious works. Subdued, not so much. So, <laughs> yeah, Roadblock's Tiger Stripe helmet is the finest thing we got out of the Tiger Force, as far as the figures are concerned. I know I'm repeating myself, but that just works. And if you've taken that helmet off and popped it on a modern era style Roadblock and it works, well, power to you, man. That's your Tiger Ooh. Force nod right there. I don't feel like you need to take it any further. Just it's pop it. to take it further. <laughs> Pop him on a tiger paw and off you go. And speaking of like cool little custom jobs, I'm looking at General Joe's, Justin's uh, website. And he's got all of the FSS 3.0 figures listed up to date. And Spearhead and Max are, are obviously form part of that list. And I'm looking at Spearhead and Max and it just, it, yeah, I don't know what it is, but it screams Steven's Dusty custom to me every time I look at it the parts use is so similar and some of the accessory use is so similar so I think Steve's got you've got pictures of it on your blog don't you that cool modern era Dusty that you did remember you bought that movie Duke from me and then you used some of his parts to make like a, a Dusty for yourself I think it's a 2012 article called Custom Dusty Mounts the Fridge <laughs> yes um, I think if, if a lot All of you guys kinds are... of inappropriate stuff in there. <laughs> but if you want to dig I... it out, uh, I'll put a link up on the Facebook group once again. So listeners, you can check out uh, pictures of exactly what Paul is talking about uh, exactly. on the Facebook group. Yeah, drive some traffic and that away. For those of you who don't feel like paying figure subscription service fees for your spearhead, uh, Steve's got a very good custom formula there. For you to make a spearhead if you wanted to. That's very reminiscent of the Collector's Club exclusive. And obviously, you're on your own with the head. And Max. You're on your own with Max. Whatever the frag Max is meant to be. I can never remember. (laughs) So, anyway. What's happening with you guys? (laughs) Well, funny you should mention spearhead and Max. Uh, It's very appropriate and very apt to my sort of new stuff. 
nothing in hand just yet, but I have been trawling eBay a bit and picking up a few odds and bods that are perhaps less desirable and certainly fetching lower prices, but toys that I feel a kind of a completionist urge about getting. And the one of them is that that fearless duo, Point Man Spearhead and his faithful Bobcat Max, <laughs> but the vintage versions. So, <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting um, figure. It's notable for a number of reasons, uh, not least of which being the rather unauthentic desert uh, camo with a bright orange. Gratefully, the figure subscription service have rectified that by giving him a more subdued mottled brown. But hey, the original figure has just got such eccentricities. Like, what the hell is that... Uh, Gladius he comes with. I mean, he comes with a sword from, like, the Bronze Age. Yeah, I've always thought that was odd, because we used to get that with the Ninja Force, remember? Yeah. And the most outrageous, like, dual magazine rifle grenade launcher combo. I don't know what that thing is, but it's bloody vicious. It's got a machete on the front and a strap, which I'm always pleased to see. It's nice to be able to sling your weapon over a figure's shoulders. But, yeah, bizarre, bizarre figure. Still, I mean, even with the garish orange, it'll be nice to give Dusty some company on desert missions. He'll look good in a, in a desert fox, and he'll certainly look interesting in a tomahawk. Yeah, so, I, I always found uh, Spearhead to kind of be the um, Dusty replacement or the sort of Dusty upgrade. Yeah. I know. I just realized how that's Dusty sounded. plus a bobcat. <laughs> yeah. I also managed to win an auction for a 1984 Mutt and Junkyard. Uh, and perhaps we'll get into that figure later because of our topic. Whoa. Animal companion topic. I got a downtown who I find to be quite an interesting niche to fill. You know, the sort of man-portable artillery. And he's certainly a better filler of that niche than say short fuse even if his colors are a little bit further out i just think there's something more fascinating about his sculpt and he comes with a damn fine revolver which i'm looking forward to getting my hands on and a pretty cool mortar launcher and a great mm. backpack that stores all six of his mortars i think there's six could be eight but i'm gonna go it with is six. six i'm looking at it now no, oh, very good master of efficiency oh right. gosh what else did i get oh an astro viper Yes, yes, yes. I do love me the 1988 Vipers. I think I like them more than the 1989 Vipers. Yes. We spoke about this in episode 35, and I just sort of said that 1989's Vipers were just ripping the roof off in terms of the rainbow color. Whereas 88, while they were colorful, they seemed to follow a theme that had started in previous years of more interestingly bent Vipers having a purple hue. You know, the kind of guys that you didn't want to share your lunch with ever because you're likely to catch something. That being a Toxo mm-hmm. Viper and a Hydro Viper, who are just, you know, the one's your hazardous environment trooper, the other one's a bloody genetic abomination. Mm. And then the Astro Viper, which is clad in the classic Cobra colors of red and black and gold. It's superb with the maneuvering thrust backpack and the, the rotating lasers. It's the best presentation of that mold, and it's a pretty damn cool mold in and of itself. I remember when the Star Brigade came out, I was very quick to pick up 
Astro Viper. In fact, he was the first guy I thought. Oh, really? I think, uh, yeah, likewise. I've got him. He's actually sitting in my Raven, in my Night Raven, with a Strata Viper, which is quite apt because they're meant to be uh, upgraded Strata Vipers. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so he's actually, yeah, he's currently in the Night Raven with, because I can't just have one guy piloting a Night Raven. No, that would be ludicrous. He's going to shoot. <laughs> so. Shoot uh, anyone that's managing to catch up to a Night Raven. I mean, that backwards gun in a Night Raven is ludicrous. It but is anyway, off topic. We've t- discussed this on an episode, so go and yeah. check that out. We did, we did. <laughs> Gentlemen, I put together a little fantasy casting scenario for, get this, a G.I. Joe live-action movie. Wow. So. Haven't done that yet. In the role of Roadblock, who would you prefer to see? Michael Clark Duncan, the late Michael Clark Duncan. I'm just throwing it out there. Like, just imagine he was with us. Bing Rames or The Rock. Hmm. Hmm. Don't all speak at once. I'd probably go with Ving Rhames. I've I've always liked him as an actor. He was awesome in uh, Mission Impossible. I don't know. I just never really took Michael Clark Duncan seriously in any of the roles I saw him in. So, yeah. He made me cry my eyes out in Green Mile. Yeah, well, did. I couldn't even bring myself to watch that movie. It was too long. <laughs> oh, jeez, Rob. <laughs> long. Like, what, two and a half hours long, isn't it? It just pulls you along. It's a real page turner. Oh, God. It's Stephen over King three off. hours long. <laughs> three hours and 20, 28 minutes long. Did IMD beat it? Well, yeah, it's three hours, like, eight minutes long. That's one vote for uh, Marcellus Wallace. Yeah. <laughs> A.K.A. Ving Rhames. How about you, Paul? I'm also going to go Ving Rhames, mostly because I think he's got the right kind of attitude. He's a great character actor when it comes to playing a serious slash comedic kind of role he's good at like he's not a comedy actor per se but he's very good at delivering that kind of humor and and he's good at showing those sides of himself on screen i've always actually thought of him as a good roadblock it's funny that you mentioned him in this because I, I was actually going to say yeah we should totally go Ving Rhames and then he went Ving Rhames and i was like okay <laughs> and uh, are there any um, really physical rap artists out there who you think could carry it because uh, that would be an interesting cross-cultural or cross-medium casting, and it's something that's yeah, become quite do... popular using Ludacris for you know Fast and the Furious, and I don't know Ice Cube's been in umpteen B or Z grade action and science fiction movies, mm. Ghosts of Mars, anyone? Hey, that was that was actually still cool in a weird, stupid way. LL Cool J, oh. though I don't ever imagine him being a roadblock, to be honest. No, me neither. I don't know. Um, I suppose LL's got it, got it. I mean, he could be. He's certainly a pretty built dude. But to be honest, yeah. for me, for me, yeah. Michael Clark Duncan, just as a physical presence, I mean, Google image that guy. He's a mountain. No, and that's what you need from roadblock. Yeah, just, but he's a bit uh, too much of a mountain. Fair enough. All right. Ving Rams, yeah. Ving Rams gets my number one vote as well. I, I just wanted to throw the cat among the pigeons, throw the clock among the, the Rams. And, and, 
And if I can say quick as well, I don't hate The Rock as Roadblock. I just don't like the roadblock, as that, roadblock that was written for... No, yeah, no, no, I don't like the roadblock that was written for him. Like, I would have preferred him not to be center stage. I would have preferred him to be, like, a second string or something like that. I don't think you can plausibly put The Rock into a movie and not have him play The Rock and take yeah. the limelight whenever it's given to him. Like, I don't think no, he can function... As a team player, I don't think he can function as a supporting character. That is not his function. You use The Rock to sell your movie. They brought him yeah. on board Fast and the Furious to boost their sales. They brought him on board G.I. Joe to save it. And he's a yeah. very good marketing tool. So I don't think anyone's likely to put him on the cast just to shove him into the back. No, of course, and that that's that's kind of the, the thing I'm getting at. It would be a waste to make him a second-tier character or to make him a supporting character because of his charisma and his screen charisma, which is, once again, why I push for Ving Rhames, because Ving Rhames can kind of, like I said earlier, he's a great character actor. He can definitely play in his role. He's not bigger than, than what he's in, usually, which is cool. That, well, Ving Rhames cool takes character. Roadblock, then. Hey! All right. Hey. Quickfire topic number two. Scarlet. Should we choose uh, A? Scarlet Johansson. Uh, no. Or B... Famke Janssen. Hmm. And is there a C? Uh, no, no C. Because you've just okay, okay. possibly Anna, picked my two okay. least favorite female actors ever. Anna Packham. Wow. Anna Packham. Least Anna favorite actresses ever. Okay, okay. <laughs> then, then number four, <laughs> uh, Jennifer Lawrence. Actually, actually, uh. I could go. I, I'm gonna shoot first. I'm gonna say Jennifer Lawrence gets my vote. No shit. I knew it. I knew it. Why did I even say it? What gave it away? How about you, Robbie? Well, I, I think I'd probably go Scarlett Johansson. I mean, she's proved she can be a really badass female assassin type character with the uh, Black Widow. So it's almost a it's an easy one. Yeah. Yeah. She's got the red hair. She's called Scarlet. Exactly. And uh, she definitely she's has the moves on screen. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's a flying armbar she does. In uh, uh, Iron Man 2. In Winter Soldier. Oh, because in Winter Soldier, she does a very, very nice takedown, which is a Tai Chi move, actually. Which she I does plenty of nice cool. takedowns. In fact, yeah. taking people down by scissoring her legs around them seemed to be Scarlett Johansson's thing, or the Black Widow's <laughs> thing. Boom. Boom. I'm personally more in favor with Famke Janssen. Yeah, you seem to like an old cast. I mean, I, like Ving Rhames, when he died, was like 60. You mean Michael, Michael Clark realize. Duncan? Yeah, that one. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of divorcing time from my mind. I'm not casting oh. these people as they are in the ages that they are currently. I'm kind of casting them by using my knowledge of them from what they've done previously, like in this sort of golden age. Ah, the 90s. Whenever. <laughs> so, yeah, I suppose that's the cheat with this, with this particular topic. I'm not selecting them at their current age because let's face it if you want a bad to the bone lean and mean combat unit yeah the age ranges would be between 25 and 35 any past that and you're in danger they're gonna have to play hawk exactly <laughs> although i always imagine duke to also be more of a veteran he's still got it what? but he's not a youngster 
yeah, how else are you going to command too. people's respect if you don't have the years behind you? Perfect example, mm-hmm. Aaron Eckhart in Battle LA. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, the role of Duke is not being considered in this quickfire topic. Because I couldn't find oh. any, I couldn't find anyone to challenge Aaron Eckhart. I was thinking, hmm, maybe like a, a young Clint mm. Eastwood, but uh, hell. I love both. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, All right, guys. For the role of Stalker, who would you prefer, Don Cheadle or Idris Elba? Mm. With an American accent. You know. Can, yes, um, can. I can never remember this guy's name, and I'm very sorry about this, but you know the guy who plays Apollo Creed in Rocky? Carl uh, Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you see him I as always, a I did, always saw him as Stalker. Did Predator yeah. have something to do with that? It might have a little <laughs> bit to do with it, but, but it also has a lot to do with when I look at Stalker and I think of Stalker's mannerisms, it's kind of a mix between him as a character, like the kind of characters that he plays, and Ernie Hudson. It's weird. It's kind of like a mix between them. That's how I see Stalker as a character. Oh, now that you uh, mentioned it, Carl Weathers would be perfect. I think he would be. My next one would be uh, what? Idris Idris Elba, because he's great Idris as well, Elba. and he's also got that veteran appeal to him. That like slightly older guy that can kick ass, you know, chew bubble gum. I think I'm gonna go with uh, Apollo Creed. I'd Excellent. want a little bit more gravitas. Oh, but then again, Carl Weathers was great in Rocky. Hmm. Mm, tricky. Very tricky. How about you, Rob? Break the tie. <laughs> um, I, I'd probably go with Idris Elba. I mean, I, I just know he's an, a really good actor. I've enjoyed him in everything I've seen him in. So, Carl Weathers, I've only ever seen him in Rocky and Predator. I don't know what else he did. So, Fair enough. Yeah, Idris. Yeah, I'm going to go with Idris as well. Okay, well, I have to stand by Carl Weathers because I, like, recommended him. And because and he, he, he looks the from... parts. Let's let's. I mean, channeling a, a, a younger Carl Weathers from his Predator performance, perhaps not that character, but certainly mm. that look. In fact, that team is th- those the are the Joes, perfect, man. Yeah. You got spirits mm. in there. Yeah. You got Stalker in that... there. You got a, a white roadblock. <laughs> <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter. With a minigun. Well, the thing is, I mean, many of the characters, I mean, you could probably switch race. I mean, they're not, it, oftentimes it's not central to their character. Yep, sure. I mean, it's like uh, with the upcoming Fantastic Four film, you know, they've switched up the, the race of Human Torch. Mm. Uh, I did not it's know. It's very interesting. Yeah, no, apparently he'll be adopted. <laughs> yeah, as well. My adopted brother, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like that's so bad because like it's gonna be like all four of them and then they're gonna see him and they're gonna be like he's adopted. I'm waiting for that joke. They could then they could work in a little um, Reservoir Dogs reference with Johnny Storm talking all street and going like yeah you should be invisible bitch and I'll be flame on and shit. <laughs> you know. What I'm anyway, yeah. gentlemen, in the role of Destro, who would you prefer, Liam Neeson? Or Gerard Butler. Ooh. Oh shit! <sighs> wow, that's difficult. Yes, those are great. Liam Neeson is so awesome. Liam Neeson of him... Taken fame, and uh, I think he was a Jedi Knight at one stage. And Gerard Butler, Batman. need I say any more? Uh, Three hundred, yeah. Leonidas and rom-coms. True. <laughs> He's been in a bunch I'm, of I'm other things. Be... Yeah, but I don't know. I just always see him as like <laughs> a romantic, like. <laughs> Derpy grin kind of guy. 
This is romantic comedy. (laughs) But then again, Liam Neeson was also in Love Actually, so, you know, they've done their time. But to be a Scottish mercenary arms dealer working for Cobra with a historical chip on his shoulder and a predilection for man's natural state of war. I'm going to shoot it again first because it just makes my indecision easier to deal with. Do you always shoot it Um, first? What does no, your say about the that? show. <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I so she does have one. something to say about it. No, she has nothing to say about it. I'm making shit up. <laughs> so she has nothing to say about it? I don't know what's the word. Oh, no, we're talking about Liam Neeson. <laughs> we're talking about you shooting first, buddy. And not letting your girlfriend have anything to say about that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, okay. It's always nice to be the butt of the joke. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I would go Liam Neeson, primarily because I think Liam Neeson can definitely bring up that intensity uh, that somebody like Destro could command. I think it'd also look good as Destro if you consider how he looks in Batman Begins. And um, he's got the oh, right. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. And he'd be yeah, damn good got... in, with some sword play. And we know Destro exactly. likes to, likes to play with some swords. He, he's got a lot of what would work for Destro on screen. My initial instinct was Gerard Butler, but to be honest, it could go either way. I thought to myself, who'd look better in an open-necked shirt, black leather? <laughs> I'm thinking, you know, mm, I right. want. Leonidas from 300, that kind of physique for, for, for Destro. Neeson is not a, a physically imposing guy, but he has that intensity. He has that utter ruthlessness and mm. determination. I think Neeson, because mm, he's do. also very tall. I mean, he's almost two meters tall, 1.93 meters tall. He's huge. I mean, he's not yeah. huge, but he's very imposing. He's got the presence, he's got the height. And I think his face would look very good in silver as well. Yeah, yeah well, however we decide to do the mask, yeah. Mm. Living right. metal. Neeson it is. With yeah. a dissenting vote by yours truly for Mr. Butler. Finally, for the role of Cobra Commander, would you be intrigued by seeing Gary Oldman? Or would you rather see Kiefer Sutherland? You know, Gary Oldman used to play a lot more villains. I'm thinking. He did. Uh, he was very well known for villains. I'm yeah, thinking I mean, about I, yeah. true romance. If you've seen it, it's yeah, stellar. I mean, he has he has a kind of an early uh, appearance in it, and then bows mm-hmm. out very soon after that. But wow, what a fucked up individual! He was in Hannibal. Hannibal. I didn't know. I did yeah. not realize <laughs> that he was the dude with the with the cut up face. Face, yeah. That was him. Very cool. And they. They intentionally don't put his name in the credits, yeah, in the front. Yeah, I think he'd be great as uh, Cobra Commander, personally. I think he's enigmatic on screen. He twists himself in crazy ways uh, as a character actor. Even in Dracula, he was fantastic. Bram Stoker's Dracula is one of my favorite films, and I know it's not a great film, Mm. but I really loved him as Dracula. I find him a very cool, tortured soul. In Harry Potter, he plays this really cool character that is actually very tortured and very like kind at the same time and and i kind of see that sort of schizophrenic behavior or that sort of more bipolar behavior coming through 
really well in a character like Cobra Commander. Because Cobra mm. Commander can be very, you know, like, on and off. And sometimes. also something and, quite maniacal that Oldman has showcased often. But mm. in support of our, I suppose, our lesser favorite, Kiefer Sutherland has a massive showcase of work called 24, in which yes. he is oftentimes on the outside of a system that is trying to stop him. His own system, the system that he's trying mm. to protect, is oftentimes the one that is getting in his way the most often. And he has to be absolutely ruthless and go beyond the system, above and beyond yeah. what laws what common morality, what decency dictates to get the job done. And that mentality, something that can make Cobra Commander transcend from being a comic book villain to being an anti-hero, someone that we can actually rally behind. And that yeah. is why Kiefer Sutherland finds his way onto my consideration here. It's... I want to be able to root for Cobra Commander. I don't want him to be Me a too. pop-up target for the G.I. Joes to shoot at. Mm. Oh, I fully agree because I and as listeners of the show and you guys know, I'm very much a Cobra supporter and I and I love getting into these sort of world changing idealism that uh, Cobra likes to rally behind. You know, that's sort of their their whole agenda. I find is when in the cartoon it's such a, a parody or it's such a, a joke of itself, but in the comic book it's something a lot more serious and a lot deeper. And I've always loved that. Um, what say you, Robbie? <laughs> I think I'd probably go with Kiefer Sutherland, yeah. I mean, Gary Oldman would be awesome, but that's just so easy to cast him as as Cobra Commander. I yeah, think Kiefer. Kiefer would bring our sympathies because Gary Oldman is so good at being an almost caricature comic book villain. Yeah, uh, yeah. tight. They'd both do a bang-up job, but I think Mr. Sutherland would do the more intriguing job. If the material allowed him to, I mean, if you're going to sign on these amazing actors, you better have a damn good script. So yeah, better than the ones we've watched so far. <laughs> I don't think G.I. Joe's ever likely to attract that kind of attention Might from be. you know mm-hmm. people who actually have something to say, people who actually are on a mission to make a very good movie and surprise everyone, including us longtime mm-hmm. fans. What I was going to say with regards just to Kiefer Sutherland quickly is he does a really good job as Snake from Metal Gear because he's the new voice of Snake and we get to experience a bit of him as a character in Ground Zeroes. And he brings a whole different delivery to Snake and I, I kind of almost think that Kojima went with uh, wanting to use Kiefer Sutherland purely because he knows that Kiefer could be exactly what you said earlier, Steve. He could be somebody who's trying to protect the system but has to be ruthless to do it and boss definitely has that especially as we see him slowly turn into what is known as a bad guy in the series so i must say you've actually swung my vote from gary oldman to keep us up <laughs> if i had a dollar for every time i've swung your vote i think i'd have about seven dollars yeah more of this <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anything to add for this uh, not-so-quick-fire topic? We're terrible at this. We are really terrible. I'd love... I know we are. We are so bad at this, but I'd love to do more of this, like, on an, on the next episode, if that's cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, moving cool. on to our animal companion topic. <laughs> <laughs> there is a terrific YouTube clip uh, from Adult Swim's 
Robot Chicken, where the, oh, Joes, <laughs> the Joes are each allowed an animal companion. And, of course, their picks range from the more standard dogs to cats to elephants to horses <laughs> and, in the case of Deep Six, to a blue whale. G.I. Joburg goes primal. We're talking about animals. Back me up here, guys. <laughs> All right, Robbie. Your top three GI Joes that come with animals. <laughs> oh, oh wow! That's <laughs> we're just talking about Joes that have animal companions. That's a completely different subject. Okay. Ah. Oh. Oh, okay. So my top three, number three, which I think should be mentioned because, I mean, he was the first man who came with an animal, <laughs> um, was Deep Mutt, version one, Mutt version one from 1984. That's what he is. He's a dog handler. He handles dogs, touches them, and he, he looks the part, which I think is brilliant. I think I've maybe read one or two comics with him in, and I think I've seen, like, an episode of the TV series with him in, you know, where um, Junkyard saves the day. So as far as I know, he's the most developed guy with an animal in G.I. Joe-dom. And his look is very unique and interesting, with this sort of, his awesome, like, gauntlet on his left hand, so that whenever Junkyard attacks him, you know, and they're having <laughs> rough times, having a little sort of playtime, things get a little tough. He just looks the part, and, and I think that's really quite cool, that they actually put so much effort into the, the figure and the look of the character, that he looks like... He's ready to handle animals. And he also got a very nice modern version as well, I thought. They, they did a really cool update of the character, and they kept it very true to his original look. And, like, the dogs are, I mean, that's probably the most obvious animal that you can include in, in a military unit is a dog. Because dogs are so widely used in law enforcement and the military as well. They are units. So it's the, most, the easiest one to sort of go and say, yeah, that's a dog, and he comes with a dog. <laughs> that was number three. Number two is another guy with the dog. And that would be Law and Order, but version six from 2011. Because I think this is the most interesting looking animal companion. I mean, where he kind of looks the part properly. I really like the look of this order, and they put a lot of effort in the sculpt and stuff that Law comes with. I mean, he, he properly looks like a proper MP officer, um, military police officer, which I think is really cool. And the accessories. I guess it's not just about the animal, but about the figure as well. It comes with so many cool things. He looks proper, which I, which I really like. But then my number one is, is more of a personal choice than it is sort of like, ah, he's the best-looking animal man. And it's, it's kind of a cop-out because it's not really a real animal. But there would be Neurotoxin, who is the uh, Cobra Sand Scorpion leader, 
It was released in 2004, <clears throat> the period where G.I. Joe was going through its many movings around and changings, um, you know, as they kind of figure out what's our new sculpt look. And he comes with this really badass uh, mechanical scorpion, which I love because it's got a bunch of articulation. It doubles as a backpack and you can remove its claws and then sand scorpion, the, the figure can sort of equip them and those are his weapons. You know, along with his mm. stupid-looking rifle with this gigantic bayonet on it. So for personal choice, it, yeah, my number one is Neurotoxin, his awesome mechanical scorpion. It's articulated on all six legs and yeah, articulated and on its tail. It's also yeah. made out of, of a bendable plastic, so even beyond the articulation, it has movement. And underneath yeah. the removable claw and laser weapon or gun attachment, there mm. are, in fact, weapons beneath them. Like, like little mini guns, yeah. Like, or they like could be cameras like or something. But, uh, yeah, yeah exactly. it's, a, it's a cool, <laughs> cool accessory. Totally, and totally that, Cobra. Was my, yeah, and that was always my problem with many of the, the animal companions, that they seem very, I, I don't know, I couldn't really incorporate them into play. Arbitrary, like, I think, is yeah. You know, like oh, there's like a, you know, yeah, you know, like a little like dog or like a manta ray or something. What do you do with those things? But with this, I mean, it's obvious what you can do stuff with it, and it's actually practical. Mm-hmm. It's the most practical animal. I mean, you know, shipwreck coming with Polly. I mean, that's awesome and it's, it's thematically interesting. But yeah, no thanks. Neurotoxin, um, but... by the way, looks pretty cool with the claw and the weapon on his hands. Yeah, he looks decent. He looks like a proper scorpion as well, which is nice. The folks at Hasbro yeah, were that's... kind enough to even put a little bit of a wash on the accessory. I wish they had done the mm-hmm. same to the figure. I wish he looked exactly uh, like that a scorpion. scorpion. That scorpion, I think, is, it was later reused with the subscription service Desert Scorpion figure. It came out last year. If, um, no, that's cool. I wonder if it still yeah, had I... a back plug. Oh, God. That's awkward. <laughs> Uh-huh. I mean, it looks cool if you put it on a Joe. It looks like it's being attacked, you know? Like the Joe's being attacked by the, the giant scorpion. So I can see the, the coolness there. certainly makes more me, sense than the original Desert Scorpion's included scorpion, which looks like it's from, I don't know, the Jurassic era. Yeah. <laughs> this giant mutated scorpion that is just horrible. It was a lot of fun as a kid, I have to be honest. Okay, my, my top three picks, and I'm going to go with uh, least exciting to most exciting. I'm going to say Timber, okay, because for many of us, you guys know this already, that 85 Snake Eyes with his visor and Timber included was kind of this like big thing for my friend and I to try and get our hands on. So the idea of Snake Eyes having like an animal companion was kind of cool. I don't know, just kind of added to his badassery. Uh, when I was a kid. So that's always stuck with me. And I'm a big uh, fan of dogs. And, you know, I, I think the, the whole connection there is great, even though Timber's a wolf. And <laughs> Timber features quite prominently in the comic book and in the cartoon. In fact, I think Timber has more character in the animated series than Snake Eyes does. And <laughs> Agreed. I like that. And I, I like that they've kind of always kept Timber in the loop. It's never been like a complete cock-out. It's not like he has some psychic connection with this animal. It's just... They have this understanding, and Timber's always been like a good kind of, what's the word, uh, I, I suppose a, a metaphor, 
in a way for how Snake Eyes is, you know, it's also a lonely kind of predator with a heart, so to speak. So that was kind of cool. And, and Timber's a great sculpt. A lot of the, the line has had good sculpts for Timber, and he's always been a good-looking toy. And it definitely does complete the look when you when you have like a Snake Eyes and Timber combo and they work aesthetically. And then, I've, and then I can even extend it to Sideshow, where I've got that Sideshow Snake Eyes, and he comes with Timber. And although Timber is overly articulated, he's a, uh, you know, she, rather, is a cool sculpt. I'm glad I've got her. Like, I definitely feel it was missing, and I'm kind of glad that Sideshow went that route with uh, including Timber. So anyway, that's Timber, and I'm sure everybody loves Timber, so whatever. Then the next one is Polly. I love Polly. That that stupid bird. That stupid bird is such a cartoon trope. Uh, okay, it's the talking animal that says the funny things at the expense of the character that is, you know, that looks after it. But Polly is a real asshole. Okay, and in the cartoon, there are numerous occasions where Polly does really interesting stuff, even to the extent of turning into a giant bird and helping GI Joe defeat Cobra. Polly is just always stuck with me. Uh, Polly is always come out as a fairly decent sculpt in the toy line it's always been fun also once again in the cartoon when polly sort of helps them through some tricky situations while they're trying to sneak into a cobra base it's just really cool and you know it's a great little figure i don't know it just it works it's one of those like it's an animal companion that goes with the joe that really really works but it only works because of the cartoon none of the other characters have the same kind of relationship save for maybe spirit uh, and eagle freedom and Every time I but see those freedom, relationships were completely different. I mean, with were. Spirit and Freedom, the eagle was exactly that. It was a companion. It was probably his sort of, I don't know, maybe a Native American, his kind of soul animal. Uh, yeah. They, they shared yeah. a bond. The spirit guy. There we go. That's, that's the word I was looking yeah. for. Um, but with Polly, that's the flip side of the coin. It seems to me like this was an antagonist for Shipwreck. Yeah. Like that's- Shipwreck was typically up to no good in the cartoon and yeah. Polly was there to hinder him. So it's like yeah. Polly was his good angel. Yeah. Yeah, but, it definitely uh, cock blocks him a lot. And it. definitely brought a lot of smoke <laughs> down on him. I mean Polly's yeah. function in a greater G.I. Joe uh, elite crack team unit is not a great one. It kind no. of points to the fact that this is a ragtag militia. So his use in the cartoon is to just further the fact that Shipwreck is completely out of place. <laughs> yeah, and I like it for that because it's a great sort of foil. Character for... thing, yeah, I suppose. Yeah. Mm. And just to mention with uh, with Spirit and uh, Freedom is I recently watched an SNL short where it's this guy, he's in the woods, he's like a falcon, the falconer. And he's hanging from a tree and he's about to die because he's caught himself in his own trap and he finally sends his falcon off to go and save his life. And the falcon goes and flies off to Vegas. And then he meets uh, Alec Baldwin. And they, like, go and do lines. And they go and, like, have fun. And they have a complete night on the town. And he uses the credit card and everything back. And then eventually he comes and saves the falconer. And he, like, brings, like, a whole bunch of stuff with him. And he's like, wow, thank you, falcon. You've really saved me. And he's like, oh, look, and you found my credit card. <laughs> you know? And it's like, and I just keep thinking of that now every time I have good spirit and freedom. I'm like, that bird's going to, like, pune uh, spirit one day. But spirit and freedom's link is just almost too serious and almost a little too esoteric in a weird way for me. I know it sounds odd, but... Well, there are two readings of spirit and freedom's relationship. There's the cartoon where freedom is spirit's sidekick. 
mm. you know, when Spirit's having a showdown with, with <laughs> when Spirit's having a showdown with Storm Shadow, uh, it's Freedom who plucks the flying shuriken out of the air, preventing yeah. his master from being injured. That's the cartoon take on Spirit and Freedom. The comic book was far more anonymous. Spirit yeah. has just recovered from an all-out battle with Destro, with Firefly, and with one of the Fred series Crimson Guardsmen up oh, in, uh, oh, yeah. in Snake Eyes' log cabin. Spirit goes off to try and track the assailants and finds himself accompanied by a bald eagle who actually lands on Spirit and assists him in finding a trail of uh, bloodied footsteps. So it's a completely anonymous, you know, just a, a Native American communing with nature, basically, and mm. a wild animal just kind of helping him on his way. So there was no real connection there. And then you flip to issue number 130, where Spirit, as he does, is looking after the pit in Utah on guard duty, sitting on a blanket, and an eagle flies in through the window and lands on him. So I think by that stage, maybe his early experience in um, Snake Eyes' cabin got him into falconry. Very possibly. Because he manages to sick that self-same eagle onto a viper, which, uh, <laughs> in the words of the poor viper, yow, it clawed half my face off. So it's yeah, I think uh, Spirit got into uh, training bloodthirsty eagles from that point onwards. Yeah, possibly. The cool thing about Potty as well, I think it's one of the only ones, Animal Commanders, that has at least two different skulls. Mm-hmm. You know, has the kind of like wings extended sculpt and then the kind of like just sitting on his like arm sculpt, which I think is quite cool. <laughs> which do you prefer for Polly? A kind of at rest state or a in flight state? I like the in flight state because you get a lot a lot more of the sculpt detail in terms of the feathers and the color. They really did a good job on Polly with some of the coloring. And I prefer the in-flight state, and it's just more fun to play with, because I can kind of be like, ah, ah, you know. <laughs> but, <laughs> and then go for but like, it's nice having both, well. because like they have, it has articulation almost. You can kind of swap mm-hmm. it out. Yeah, fun. exactly. And, and, and that's like a, a fun thing to it. I also like putting Polly on different parts of the vehicles. The Snowcat is actually a good place to put Polly on because you know Polly's got those claws so it kind of sits nicely on the snowcat are you going to say it or am I going to say it Rob mm-hmm. your point that you made to me before about um, Polly and and being a tropical bird alright <laughs> yeah <laughs> interesting is that most of the time she becomes with Polly but even in extreme circumstances such as the Arctic threat version from Rise of because Cobra she becomes with yeah. I mean <laughs> what <laughs> Why? That's I, know, like, I know. I know. Because animal cruelty. Well, Shipwreck actually hates Polly. So the idea <laughs> of bringing Polly, a tropical bird, along to an Arctic environment is his way of doing the damn thing in. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Because Shipwreck's an asshole. Totally. But, totally. Yeah. And my third one, which is actually one of my favorites, purely based on the toy actually, is Crocmaster. 
Croc Masters Croc. <laughs> Croc Don't Master say that five times, Faust. <laughs> Croc Master is probably one of the stupidest characters ever made, ever. Not because of who he is. He, he in himself is pretty cool. But his so-called military speciality, which is like a reptile trainer. I think it's so crazy that like he's a reptile trainer. I mean, for what? Nobody in Cobra has reptiles except for Crocmaster. Everybody in Cobra's mm. got birds and freaking warthogs oh, and the boar. Yeah. and manta rays and barracudas, but nobody's got lizards or like crocodiles save for Crocmaster. But anyway, Crocmaster's croc is awesome. Its mouth opens and closes. It's got a great um, sculpt detail. It's almost possessed looking, which I kind of like. It, it's really evil. It's got like a leash. It's just a great toy. And Crocmaster is just such a creepy ass character concept in the first place. And they just work really well together. I think there's a great synergy there. Um, the one with and, the opening and closing jaw is obviously the 25th anniversary update. That's I figure correct. that yes. yeah, in spite of his oddball nature and seeing multiple erroneous re-releases of the same figure, I still yeah. stand by the fact that this is a worthwhile figure to have. I agree fully. Great hands, great. great unique parts, fantastic holster for a fantastic revolver. He's just creepy and evil and Cobra and, yeah, badass. Yeah, I also like the fact that he's got, like, a bite scar on his right arm. And he plays a, a fairly interesting role in the comic books, especially in the more modern stuff. And I'm not including Devil's Due here, I'm talking about IDW. He's kind of creepy. He's there, he serves a role. It almost suggests that he kind of understands the crocodiles, but I think he actually suffers from some kind of mental problem or some kind of psychological issue. You know, Absolutely. But then again, Cobra's <laughs> got a place for those kinds. And okay, let's not exactly. overlook his origin. I mean, Paul, you, you yeah. wonder why there's a place for a reptile trainer? Well, it is specifically for his patented reptile home defense system. When yeah. you've got a place like Cobra Island, which has tracts of land that are basically swamp, you can't roll vehicles through them. You can't send mm. infantry into them. You can't place sensitive electronics in them and have surveillance technology scattered around a swampy environment. So... Crocmaster's system of having trained killer crocodiles patrolling the area who are bloodthirsty and will attack anything that moves is a pretty good deterrent. I agreed. Fully. It, keeps, I just, it keeps invading infantry from moving through those swamps. I agree with that. I just think it's just such a weird speciality because you know, that's something that's still very much self-serving to him in a lot of ways. You don't see them really using their animals. Hire me, please, in sort of hire me. <laughs> like, I can talk to crocodiles. And Pokemon is like, oh, really? <laughs> well, he, he fulfills a very, very specific niche. Yeah. There is I only mean, one crocodile. Job security. Yeah. I mean, he's not going to get replaced anytime soon. Crocmaster had the Follow best... Back. The best exposure in G.I. Joe yearbook number four, mm -hmm. where not only has he got all these, I'm quoting from his file card, ravenously hungry man-eating crocodiles, which have been deliberately conditioned to be hostile, psychotic, and fast. Not only has he got these things crawling around the swamp, but he seems to have a kind of sixth sense when he's lying on his back in the shallow waters about whether or not there are intruders stomping through his swamp. 
I suppose there's something to be said about that. I mean, water is all interconnected in a swampland. Mm. And if you're specially attuned to the vibrations and to the sounds that you hear through a body of water, you could use it to reach out with your senses and detect movement, which is precisely what he does, I suppose. In that issue, he defends Cobra Island from both the October God and G.I. Joe using his crocodiles. But, of course, the combined might of the, the October God and the G.I. Joe team are too much for his gators, too much for his crocs. But that's not to say it wasn't an effective method for maintaining security. He just mm. needed to call in some reinforcements. He decided to go it alone. Dumb shit. Another interesting thing to note about Crocmaster, all his speech bubbles are not bubbles. They're done in a kind of way. Like a rasp. Mm. A what? Like a raspy kind of quality. Yeah, like it's, you, I suppose that's the, the intention, to give his voice mm. a rasp, but it's in a kind of a, a jagged bubble instead of a sphere. I think I would be remiss if I didn't put... Mutton Junkyard on my list. Mutton Junkyard would have been in my third position because Mutt is a fantastically sculpted figure. The accessories are great. Junkyard is a surprisingly good sculpt and has a nice bit of paint app for such an early included accessory, essentially. But because you picked him, Rob, he's bumped off my list. I'm okay. going to put in the third spot Serpentor. Hmm. Serpentor so comes with a dagger, woohoo, and he comes with a gold snake. The criteria that I use to pick my top three typically revolve around the animal serving some kind of functionality. For a canine unit, the dog would be used to sniff out narcotics or find where terrorists might be lurking and expose them. Or to go into areas that can't be accessed by troops and uh, perhaps wear electronic surveillance equipment to allow the Joes to see into areas that they would otherwise struggle to get into. But the best function that an animal companion could possibly have, in my eyes at least, is an offensive one. And Serpentor's snake has that capability. Somehow these uh. snakes, uh, if you've watch the animated movie, are able to go rigid and become spears. This is not a trait that the toy necessarily has, but with your imagination and a little bit of elbow grease, you can stretch that rubbery snake out and use and it make to... make it firm. Well, it'll always snap back into its original uh, state. But you can imagine that you're driving that sucker into Duke's heart. Sending him into a coma. (laughs) (laughs) He's gone into a coma. (laughs) So, yes, it it scores big points with me that this is, in fact, Serpentor's weapon. It's not even an animal companion. He has this thing sort of, you know, slithering around his person. And then when he wants to induce a coma in someone, he stretches it out and chucks it. Sticks it in. All the while, it retains its snake nature. If it misses its target, it becomes a snake again and slithers away. 
back into his hand to be used again. I don't know how it works, but I like it. I like it too. Serpenta's all kind of hokey, and so it only stands to reason that his chosen weapon was as eccentric and as off-the-wall and crazy as his concept is. So that I find mm. to be a lot of fun. In the number two spot... They complement each other quite well. The concept works well because the character and the animal complement each other very well. Of course, okay, you sorry. have to <laughs> add a big heap full of suspension of disbelief. But hey, I mean, if you're Definitely able right. to, to in, indulge in the sci-fi and fantasy elements of G.I. Joe, why the hell not? And it's damn fun exactly. to dispatch a few Joes with your coma-inducing rigid snake. <laughs> does your rigid snake <laughs> induce comas? It does. It does, actually. It stops being rigid, but... You know, that's after the damage is done. Everybody's asleep. <laughs> Number two is Norgahide and his ball. Now, with Norgahide and the ball, you don't have the situation of the ball being used as a weapon, but you actually have the ball suggesting a play pattern. If you take Norgahide's specialty and mix it up with his file card's information, he sneaks up on his prey by masking his scent with hog fat, which probably smells absolutely putrid, but will certainly take the smell of uh, soaps and processed food off of you. Mm. So it suggests to me that this hog is in fact his prey, or his means to an end, that he's going to shoot himself a ball and then dip into its carcass and cover himself with the fat that he harvests. So that's just all kinds of fucked up and cool, if you ask me. But yeah, then, it is actually. just the other night, I was watching Hannibal. And in that film, they use boars, pigs, swine, to eat the bodies of their prey. This is Gary mm-hmm. Oldman's character. So it occurred to me that this particularly screwed up individual called Norgahide, this maniacal, insane poacher, might have actually trained boars. And it doesn't take much training, let me tell you. Boars will eat anything. That's what they are. They are omnivorous scavengers who just gnaw and destroy anything that passes their lips. You could very easily use your boars as a torture device on unsuspecting G.I. Joes. Just imagine the scenario, guys. Norgahide manages to hunt down the ultimate prey, a G.I. Joe. What does he do? Chains that Joe to a tree and sets his boar on the Joe. Start um, nibbling at the Joe's feet initially. I did a little bit of research. Boars are very aggressive animals. If they feel threatened, male boars will put their heads down, charge at you, with their horns and fork them up into your your soft belly. Mm. So a boar can do some pretty extreme damage Mm. to the human body. And this is, of course, supported by the 1990 NES video game by Taxan, where Norgahide's Mm. boars are are used to charge at your character on the first level. That's right, yeah. Fork your insides up. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Also, another thing, boars are actually, although they're stupid animals, they actually 
respond very well to being trained, from what I've heard. They're quite intelligent when it comes to training them and stuff. And well, then there's even them. more evidence that, in fact, Norgahide's boar could go one of two ways. Either it's the prey that he's using to slather himself with hog fat, or it could be his pet project for dispatching unwanted G.I. Joe bodies. <laughs> My number one is an interesting compounding of two characters, which I think the ultimate result is to my liking. Zartan version 20 is is an homage to Raptor from 1987. That's correct, yeah. With the added sexy Zartan layer. Definitely. And it occurs to me that this is something that, that kind of jives nicely with Zartan's character. I mean, the man is a total enigma, but wouldn't it be fun if he had a pastime of falconry? That, mm. I think, kind of makes sense to me. It does. Uh, that's normally my go-to Zartan anyway. He's just so creepy. It's a damn and, good uh, figure. Mm. Even if you divorce the falconry elements, which is the staff, the bird, and the masking for the bird... I don't know, what would you call that thing? The blind? That's crazy. I don't even know he came with a falcon. Yeah, it's really cool. And it actually comes with that thing that you can put over its head. It looks really yeah, badass, the, actually. The hood. I've that actually never thought about it until Stephen mentioned... I want to keep wanting to call him Lord Raptor, but yeah. but um, <laughs> That's kind of cool, pretty... Lord Raptor. Though I don't think anyone would uh, let him have a title. His, no. uh, <laughs> his introduction to the comic book was... Kind of tongue in cheek. Yes. Cobra Commander so. has a massive go at him. Huh. It's I amazing just... how you you managed to make Zartan your first choice again. <laughs> I know, right? I thought I was a Zartan fanboy, but apparently. Is that a surprise to anyone, really? Somehow you, you managed to twist this all into like a, a, a Zartan fest. A like, Zartan. Oh, Zartan. You're so good, Zartan. Oh. That is impressive. Ah, yes. Raptor's introduction to Cobra Commander is at the hands of a Crimson Guardsman who Cobra Commander's hanging out with. Who introduces him? Uh, Raptor, may I introduce our August leader, Cobra Commander, and his son, Billy. All hail, says Raptor. I must (laughs) say, I've been dying to meet you, yes. And Cobra Commander whispers to the Crimson Guardsman. Why is this guy dressed up like a bird? He's a nutcase, right? What's he doing running loose without a straitjacket? Uh. This bird brain is crazier than Dr. Mindbender, and I'm sick and tired of wackos in funny suits. What do you do, sleep in a nest? <laughs> so yeah, Cobra Commander giving it to old Raptor with both barrels. But when it's Zartan with a gigantic bird bred for the hunt in his hands, all of a sudden things take on a slightly more serious and sinister tone. That is why he is my number one pick for G.I. Joe's or Cobra's with animal companions. Mm. That and the fact that he's a damn cool figure. Let me count the ways. The removable sling bag, which can hold Mm. the head that he comes Mm. with. (laughs) 
for disguising himself as Pesky Joe's, who I believe is called Sandstorm, but it's anybody's guess. The fact mm. that his hood is removable as well, leaving his torso essentially naked, mm. is also something that I applaud in my Zartan. I like him being able to boil down to the bare skin because he's a very minimalist kind of killing machine, <laughs> mm. at least in my imagination. He's the kind and, of guy uh, who will crawl through the mud in a loincloth to bludgeon his opponent to death, if needs be. Yeah. Through the ultra-low-tech approach. And that's why this version really speaks to me, because it is ultra-low-tech. He comes with a pistol and a rifle, but of course he also comes with two blades, which sheath in a very, very low-tech-looking sash around his waist. Yep. This version of Zartan is pure win. Version 20. Get it now. Preferably with an Arnold Foslu head. <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, I like the head that came with mine. Although the yeah, Arnold man, Foslu head kidding. worked very well. I just uh, no, but, but I pulled the trigger work. on it before it became uh, available. I got one from China. Yeah, you got uh, like a prototype one, technically. I did get a prototype one, yeah. No, that's very cool. It's actually quite a decent score, I'd say. Well, I'm not ever uh, too hung up about getting the original packaging. I mean, yeah, obviously prototypes come without any kind of packaging. And mine yeah. had some interesting scuff marks, which I've been able to remove. Been lying around um, on the factory one, floor somewhere. Uh, one of the notable features on that figure specifically is the sun tanning. Well, the sun tan, the sunburn on him, which is quite cool. I like the sunburn on the character. It makes his skin tone more realistic by not being a complete even beige. They definitely did a damn good job on that toy. Kind of shows up any other Zartans that have exposed torsos but don't use a grading of skin tones. Exactly. It actually makes the other Zartans look very cartoonish. I now own four Zartans in the modern era line because I recently got that Zartan with the silver armor. I think it's the second version of Zartan. Well, no, it's the first Zartan, technically. Mm. I'm glad you got that one finally. The initial 25th anniversary release. He's a great toy, and he's a lot of fun. And he's a bit more realistic than his uh, follow-on, which is one of my first 25th anniversaries, Zartans. But Desert Mystic Zartan, is what they call him, if I'm not mistaken, is a very realistic representation of what Zartan could be. And it's probably still my favorite Zartan today. He's like the ultimate snake eyes of the Zartan line. <laughs> so guys, any honorable mentions for like crazy animals? There's so many, but what I found interesting was that no Joes come with sea animals. It's only cobra. Only cobras, um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's like Hydra Viper and Undertow and the version 2 eels with the electronic shark, robot shark. Metal shark, robot um, shark, yeah. That yeah, cool. that was, I, I found that very interesting. So very much cobra rules the sea when it comes to animals. Doesn't Deep Six come with some... Freakish-looking dolphin. Gonna be talking like '93 or '94. Eco Warriors Deep Six. Yeah, it comes with some fucking angry-looking dolphin. Finback. <laughs> yeah, with Finback. a scary dead dead eyes. <laughs> wow, I don't e- I don't even notice. That's insane. Because, it is uh, quite insane. Still, I mean, I suppose dolphins make a lot of sense in terms of training them, and I think. Mm. Wasn't it the thrust of that dolphin to seek out underwater munitions and mines and whatnot? I mean, am I making that up? 
I, dude, I actually don't know because I don't have much experience with that toy. All I can think of in my mind is that dolphins apparently rape uh, people a lot. And oh, yeah. Dolphin yeah, rape. Of, yeah. yeah, it's a big thing. They have prehensile <laughs> penises that can yeah, wrap around can, like, you. <laughs> what? They can just, like, stick it out, wrap it inside you. I mean, apparently <laughs> dolphins are the only other mammals on this planet who enjoy sex. So, if they see a lone scuba Yo. diver, yeah, <laughs> any holes are gold. Come back. Stop having that Toxo Viper. <laughs> I got me some action last weekend with the dolphin. Yeah. It was a Joe Dolphin. I'm sleeping with the enemy. Wow. Wow. An observation I have about the Hydra Viper's Devil Ray, uh, or lesser Devil Ray, as I later researched, they are shallow water creatures. And the Hydra Viper is dubbed the Demon of the Deep. So I don't see these two... These two things operating in the same same radius, really. Yeah, and what do they do with their water animals when they're not actually operating in the ocean or whatever? I think. Do they have little pens they keep them in, or is it is it is it an actual pet or a thing that they're always accompanying them? I think I maybe they are just like the eels' robot shark. Maybe the undertow's barracuda is robotic. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's a disguised torpedo. <laughs> and the manta ray is a funny... Torpedo in disguise. That's cool. <laughs> and the devil ray is a funny looking hat that you can stick on Hydra Viper's head so you can kind of swim into the shallows. There was kind of a Bond movie, wasn't there? Where yeah, he was wearing the, a... Uh, the bird on his head. That was the start of Goldfinger, isn't it? When he's uh, blowing up those silos or something. Absolutely, but I'm thinking of something else, where a character is actually wearing a manta ray pack, and is kind of swimming and like flapping his arms, and of course the manta ray wings are flapping. So from the top down, it looks like a manta ray, but from the bottom up, you've got a diver under there. Am I making this up? It looks like being raped by a manta ray. No, no, it's probably from Thunderball. That had a very extensive uh, underwater sequence. Quite possibly. Though I'm sure that, uh, Goldfinger and Thunderball aren't the exhaustive list of Bond movies that feature underwater fauna. License to Kill. Ah, that's the License one. To kill. I thought it was an 80s one. He used one. it as a, as, a, as, a, as a cover. So he, it was a disguise. He's doing infiltration. Mm-hmm. That was one of the mm. Timothy Daltons. That was my mm. Bond. Yes. Oh, yeah. I like Timothy Bond. Dalton as a Bond. Actually, um, Steve, coming back to our quick topic, you know it would also be a damn good Destro? Timothy Dalton. Uh, Ah. I've seen him recently in Penny Dreadful, and I was actually like, holy shit, this dude could be Destro. I thought about it, and I thought he's not imposing enough, once again. Well, he can be. He was exceptionally imposing in Hot Fuzz, and he was the brilliant villain in that. Well, we've established he does comedy well, then. Yeah. Fire! Exactly. Do, do, do. I want you to burn. 
If you haven't seen that film, listeners, what the hell are you doing with your lives? Yeah. Rent it now. Hot Watch it. Do it. Watch it now. Watch it on the internet. Don't pay uh, for that. It. Yeah, Netflix it. Yeah, fix it. For those of you who... But for my sanity and yours, a quick rundown of everyone's top three G.I. Joe or Cobra figures with an included animal companion. For me, oh. in spot number three, Serpentor and Gold Snake. I swear, more Cobras needed to come with snakes. It upsets I me ro- that the only Cobra Commander that comes with a Cobra is the fucking Doctor one from Rise of Cobra. Yes. Ah. Well, not the only one. That's been superseded now by the um, Ultimate Cobra Commander now. He also comes so with a Cobra. so glad every... Cobra Commander should come with two things. A snake well, and a parachute. <laughs> I was yeah. gonna say I was gonna say a hair dry gun. But <laughs> actually <laughs> this is harking back to something that we had a chuckle about in an episode many, many years ago, gentlemen. He should come with a snake and a globe. Ooh. A snake encircling the globe. That he can then mm. hand off to some unsuspecting lackey who yeah. then starts getting engulfed by the cobra. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. My number two, Norgahide. And number one, Zartan version 20 slash Oof. Raptor. <laughs> Hells yeah. Mine are Timber and his companion Snake Eyes, Shipwreck and his foil. Polly, and Croc Master, and he's Croc. My three were, <laughs> number three, it was Mutt with Junkyard, version one, then version six of Law and Order from Renegades, and my number one was Neurotoxin, which is a Sand Scorpion from 2004. And that was episode 36 of G.I. Joburg, coming wow. at you from the jungle. The wet jungle Full of giant crocs And balls in your face Snakes (laughs) But don't forget Uh. to shoot first (laughs) (laughs) It's been real ladies and gentlemen Of the audience This is G.I. Joburg Steve signing off this is Paul. I'm going to go and play with my croc master. <laughs> and this is Rob. He's going to go laughing into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs>